every entrepreneur has a story. Welcome to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, where each episode, your host, Brian Carney, will share a drink with a successful business owner and have them discuss their unique journey, gaining insight on what it takes to be an entrepreneur and different ways to get there. Brian isn't just a beer nerd, he's also the co-founder of River's Edge Advisors, a financial planning firm headquartered in Delaware, specializing in working with business owners. It's time to pour yourself a drink and enjoy a happy half hour with an entrepreneur. My guest today is Karen Roy from InfoGraphEd. Karen, who is Irish, moved from Ireland to Scotland for graduate studies in 1988, then over to the greater London area, working there for several years before relocating to the United States. She's called the United States home since she moved here 15 years ago when she was 37 years old. After working for a Fortune 500 pharmaceutical company for six and a half years, she decided to make the leap to business ownership and started her first consulting business. After running two businesses for several years, she's now focused exclusively on InfoGraphEd. The business has won a number of awards for its work in transforming complex information and data into engaging visual communications for the healthcare space. And if you're gonna interview someone from Ireland, you should probably have an Irish beer. So I'm gonna be drinking a Harp Irish Lager. Karen's gonna be drinking Dingle Gin with grapefruit and rosemary tonic. And with that, I'd like to welcome Karen. Cheers. Cheers. So this, this is, is our first- call all week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is our first international episode since you are actually in Ireland right now as we record this. I am, yes. Combination of holiday plans, COVID plans and travel restrictions. So a little here, a little longer than I planned. Well, that's all right. I'm glad, I'm glad we could do this. So tell us a little bit about how you actually ended up in the United States. Right. So, um, like a lot of things in life, it was never part of the plan. Um, really I was working for that same, uh, biopharmaceutical company you mentioned in the intro in uh, in the London area. I had been with them for 10, 11 years at the time. And uh, one of the vice presidents came over and said, hey, uh, we're creating a new department. So at the time, one of the regulatory requirements that was coming in in pharma was they needed to firewall off a function that was giving grants for medical education okay. uh, for clinicians. And they were building a whole new team and he came over, took me out for lunch. We had fish and chips and a beer and he showed me the org chart and he said, this is the job I'd like you to take. What do you think? And I went, okay. That's great. So and, you didn't have like yeah. grand plans to come to the United States. You just ended up here. I just ended up here and I, I thought about it and I thought, you know, I'm single. I have no kids. This could be a fun opportunity. Let's do it for two years, see how it works out. And I can come back to Europe with like having the head office international experience. Um, and then those two years came and went and I'm still here. Yeah. 15 years later, you're still still here. So tell, tell us a little bit about your business and, and what it, what you do. Right. At InfoGraphEd, what we do is we provide um, graphic design services to different stakeholders working in healthcare communications generally. 
So the context for that is really at the point when perhaps a pharmaceutical company has completed its research and development program, Mm -hmm. and now they need to communicate the data from the clinical trials to physicians and other healthcare providers so they know how to use the products responsibly and appropriately. So a lot of the work we do is continuing medical education uh, providers, helping them deliver their content with, with greater impact. So the company is called Infograph Ed, and infographics is at the core of, of what we do essentially. So you you do, you do your business focus on what I actually consider to be a lost art nowadays. You take incredibly complex information and you translate it into simple to digest ways. Mm-hmm. So how did you identify the need for that in your space? So two things there, really. First of all, in my in my previous role as senior director of the medical education function, I had seen the output. I had seen these courses and online programs that had been created and just got bored of seeing the same old either video talking <laughs> head or, you know, death by PowerPoint. Sure. Yeah. And, and thought there has to be a different way. And um, so was exploring, you know, ways of doing that. And then um, like a lot of things that happen um, kind of by accident, I was actually reporting on um, data gathered as a result of a consulting project that I did. And I was invited to present that at a scientific meeting. And I didn't know how I was going to do this, do it well. And so I reached out to an ex-colleague of mine who is an artist by passion and a scientist by education and asked her if she could help me put a poster together. And um, she did. And I had people lining up to talk to me. I thought about my interesting data, but basically we're like, (laughs) hey, who did your poster? That is great. And that's how the company started. I, I drove home from the conference saying, I think there's something here. We should we should think about this. That's actually amazing. So do you have competitors? Are there other people that do what you do in your space? Not uniquely. So infographics and, and data visualization is an emerging um, field. It's a trend in how we communicate information. You'll have seen it even in the consumer space, you know, um, uh, it's, it's becoming more and more common. So a lot of other agencies include infographics and data visualization maybe as part of what they do. Right. But with us, it's uniquely all that we do. And I haven't seen anyone yet who um, delivers interactive infographics yeah. the way we do. Um, by interactive, I mean we can provide the opportunity for a reader or a learner to engage directly with data. So if you want to segment things out by patient type or by dose or comparative drugs in a study, you can do that with a click and we collect all of that information on the back end. So that's something that's pretty unique to us. Yeah, definitely. So who hires you guys? What what types of companies hire you? Right. Um, So we do a lot of work through third parties who receive funding from pharmaceutical companies directly. So they are medical education providers. They have access to the healthcare professionals who need the training. They know what they what the healthcare professionals need to know. So they've conducted needs assessments and gap analysis. They 
pull the content together and then essentially hand it over to us and we make it look better. We make oh. it easier to consume, uh, clearer and, and more engaging. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's the mainstay of our client base. Um, we do some work directly for pharma clients and actually that's becoming a, a growth area for us direct, direct to pharma with, um, posters or interactive manuscripts directly summarizing the content of their clinical trials. And another area that's a growth for us is now patient information or plain language information yes. for the lay audience. So yeah. there's much more, I'm pleased to see it. There's much more transparency transparency in the pharmaceutical world now, making sure people know the outcome of clinical trials yep. and um, there's no hiding data anymore. And the first attempts to um, kind of open this up was directed at um, healthcare professionals and uh, researchers, but now it's to the, the general public too. So our approach of simplifying things and making it more visual, less yeah. words, more pictures, make it, make it um, appropriate for that venue too. That's a huge need because I know even if you go to the doctor or you, you know, you talk to someone about, you know, medication you're taking and they use tons and tons of jargon and, it, you feel overwhelmed and intimidated. We see that a lot in our world with investments yeah. and you use a lot of jargon. And I think that that's such a unique area to be able to simplify it down to, to a, a really basic level that's easy to digest for people. Yeah. And using technology. I mean, everyone's got one of these, right? In sure. some way, form. Yeah. And using, um, you know, delivering information in a more digital way, um, I'm at the age now, Brian, where I can't read the information and package inserts. Right. I, if I have to open medication for anything, I've got the glasses, I'm trying to hold it out here. <laughs> um, there's too, and there's too much. Yes. Like, sometimes you're like, I just want to know how many of these I should take in right. 24 hours. Make it simple. But, yeah. So it's getting to the information that you want quickly yeah. and then conveying it clearly. It's so funny you say that. I, I just recently hung a television and the directions came and I couldn't get through them. I ha my wife had to, to read the directions and in fairness, <laughs> full disclosure, she actually did end up hanging the TV herself because <laughs> uh, I couldn't pay attention to the directions because that it really is a real problem. Um, so you much like a lot of other people, they start working for a fortune 500 company and they go, I don't want to do this anymore. I think I can go out and start a business. Did you always think you'd end up as a business owner or how, when did you realize that you needed to make the shift from the secure steady paycheck of a fortune 500 salary and benefits and then go out and take the leap into the world of being an entrepreneur? Mm -hmm. So I'd love to say that I always wanted to do this, but honestly, I, I really wasn't brave enough um, I knew I wanted to do something different. I knew I wanted to. So initially I started consulting right. and I knew that I enjoyed that. I enjoyed advising and troubleshooting and sort of trying to break down, you know, a project. Um, and, but I wasn't brave enough to step out and, and do it myself until, um, it's kind of bad news, good news. The company I was working for was acquired and okay. there was an opportunity for a severance and to exit. And so that gave me the safety net to, yeah. to try something new. I was like, you know, let's just give it a go for a year. And then I can always come back in house if I want to. Good point. But, now or never. 
Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it was just too good to pass up. And I was lucky in my personal circumstances, there wasn't a risk for anybody else. Right. Um, but I realized kind of looking back that maybe I always had a little bit of an entrepreneurial kind of streak or interest that I worked with small, a small company when I, when I joined them, I was the fourth hire in Europe at the time. Oh, wow. So you got to wear, you had to wear multiple hats. Sure. And as the company grew, I was able to say, you know what, I think this is what we need now. And this yeah. is what I want to do. Can I do that? So I managed to carve out new roles for myself, maybe two or three times mm-hmm. um, over the space of five to seven years and I think that's that was what was kind of the drive within me was like, I want to do what I want to do. Right. And if you can make it, I don't know. I think the term may be entrepreneur. If you can satisfy that need, but it aligns with your employer's goals, then then why not yep. you know, explore that? Yeah, that, that does make a lot of sense. You know, you, you talk about being internal at a Fortune 500 company and you really kind of trying to pick exactly what you want to do. Not every place gives you the ability to make that a successful uh, career and to be able to jump out and and start your own thing is, is kind of great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So looking at what you love to do. So when you look around now in your business, there's things that people that run businesses love to do and things that they hate to do. What's your favorite part of your business? Ooh, so I love starting things. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that brainstorming on, you know, what's the need? Let's yep. build something different. Um, starting a relationship with a client, you know, that I get, I get a, like a high from it. Like when you know, you've just hit on something. Right. And yeah. this is what they want. And, and then deliver that. So I love that um, new, you know, kind of building things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's, that's what motivates me the the most. Yep. What do you like the least? So it's the converse of that, right? I hate when things get mundane, when things get routine, then I'm not interested. Um, I think my, uh, so I have to force myself to come back close the circle. Right. So I'm not a natural completer finisher. (laughs) So I can start a project with great enthusiasm, figure out how it's done, ideally hand it over to somebody else then to, to run with it, but in a small company. And then when I was working for myself, that wasn't always possible when I was working alone. So uh, that's something I have to like really knuckle down and force myself to do is to come back and finish it. And what I hate now more about running a company, um, it's just, there's more, I call it administrivia. <laughs> you know? I love that term. Yeah. It's just like, you know, the constant, I mean, it's great because it's new business, but you know, master services agreements and scope of work documents and making sure, you know, invoices go out and it's the, it's the lifeblood of the business. Sure. I, I, I detest that. I refer that to that as the weeds. That's like being yeah. in the weeds. I, I like yeah. to be up top and doing the same things that you talk about doing, like planning and big picture type of things. But it can be an energy suck to get down and like, well, we had this form signed. Should we have had this form? That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, 
someone we both know, you know, Joan Walsh, um, that we walked with in the past, you know, Joan would, would be all about systemizing and organizing and how, you know, how can you do that? So it becomes less of a, a drain or a grind. Yeah. Yeah. But, but sometimes it's just not possible. Like some with pharma clients, I feel like if you've worked with one, you've worked with one. Right. (laughs) The next next contract or totally different. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's interesting. Well, I do think there takes a really strong sense of uh, lack of ego to look at a business and say, I'm really good at this and I'm really bad at this and I don't want to do that. And I think it does take a certain type of person where sometimes you have those, those high driving type A's where they think that, you know, they're invincible and they can do everything. But I think it does take checking your ego a little bit and saying, I really don't like this. I need to hire someone to help me do that. Yeah. How have you been able to do that in your business? Yeah. I mean, right from the get go. So, um, you know, when I, so part of my journey was I, when I exited out of pharma, I worked as a consultant for a number of years, just as a sole proprietor, just me. And I liked that. And then, you know, there wasn't so much of the stuff I didn't like. And and then when I started thinking about Infographed, I mean, it was the the colleague that I, I mentioned before who did the poster. Yeah. I mean, I had all these ideas for this great company. There's no way in hell. I don't have the skill set. Right. So um, you have to, I, I think you just have to identify what you're not good at mm-hmm. and, and find people who complement that and, and bring them to it. So Bavel, my business partner now, I mean, she really is the brains behind how we execute and deliver um, what we do. And I have to be um, careful because my personality is I might tend to sort of step in and say, well, why don't we do it this way? Right. Um, and that usually uncovers that I really don't know what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. So, you know, just looking for, for the right people, um, and, and they may change, you know, people, uh, the profile of who you need at a time may, at a point in time may change as companies, you know, grow and deliver and yeah, that can be good news, bad news too. For sure. Yeah. Well, you mentioned your consulting business. Mm -hmm. So you started your consulting business and you were running Infograph Ed at the same time. How was that overlap? Exhausting, exhilarating, yeah, kind of all of the above. So um, early on, it it wasn't too bad because we were finding our feet. And actually, my business partner had her own company. Okay. So we were also, she had a design company. And um, so we both agreed, you know, we will continue doing what we're doing separately and then come together for this mm-hmm. and see how that worked. Um and my business, my consulting business kind of had the same network or potential pool of clients that we would pull from. So okay. that then became a natural way to grow Infograph Ed. Yeah. Um, but it did become, uh, it did become like competing, like, you know, which kid do you love the most? <laughs> time with today. Yeah. Um. And, and also, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's also like then two kids to feed because you're going to, you know, who am I going to nourish and sort of grow today, you know, versus not spending time with the other one. So, um, 
you can tell I'm not a parent. <laughs> who, who would you love the most? Um, so it, it did it. After a couple of years, it became more challenging as both businesses grew, actually. Yeah. So my consulting business grew to the point where I had two other people working with me there as well, because I got asked to run meetings and advisory boards and events. So I needed a meeting planner and sure. and that become, became great. And then the decision to kind of go all in with InfoGraphed really became the point when I had to sit down and think like where was the longer term gain mm -hmm. so as a consultant as a sole proprietor right it's it's like you eat what you kill right sure, it's just yeah. that project that time when it's it's just you um it it's good when it's good and and you know it can be lean at times as well um but it was never going to get any bigger because it was still just me yep right unless I changed the the model which I didn't want to do yep um, with InfoGraphed, there was the potential that this could become bigger. And that was an active decision that I had to make because I never really set out to build a team to be responsible for 8, 10, 12 other people's income. Right. Um, a lot of pressure. Yeah. So that that has been a big shift for me over the last couple of years is kind of getting comfortable with that. Yeah. I mean, that, to be able to, you know, have a traditional business where every, you're the last person that gets paid and you have to make sure everyone ahead of you gets paid. It, it, there's two ways that that's stressful. Number one, you have to sort of fulfill your promise to them that you're going to pay them. Number two, that's pretty stressful when you're trying to run your own household, you know? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there, to, to have that lumpy income there, sometimes it's, it's lean at times is, is really, can be really challenging. Yeah, yeah. But there was no way we were going to for Infograph Ed to fulfill its potential with both of us being in it part time. Yeah. Um, so Bobble stepped in um, more full time, like a little bit earlier than I did. Um, and uh, but, you know, I mean, I say that, but really it was it was almost having two full time jobs. Yeah, for I sure. Mean, yeah. It was working. 60, 75 hours, 80 hours a week, if it, you know, at its worst Yep. Um, to keep things going. And then I thought, this isn't what I want to be doing. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're kind of stuck in Ireland, if you will, because of travel plans being canceled and undoubtedly COVID has played into that. So tell us a little bit about how COVID has affected your business. So right, March 2020 was a tough time for everybody. We weren't sure how it was going to pan out for us. My assessment at the time was that things might slow down for a while because pharma budgets would go on hold. So if you think about it, no one was seeing their doctors for routine care. True. Uh, sales reps weren't out. Uh, other uh, like medical conferences weren't happening. So we thought that budgets would be frozen and they were to some extent. So second quarter was pretty lean for us, but it bounced back and more in fourth quarter. Wow. I think the reason is that, um, as I explained earlier, a lot of what we do is um, delivered online digitally to allow people to interact with data. Yeah. And the value of digital communications was just enhanced. Like That's a great point. 
like everything, right? Necessity is the mother of invention. When when they realized they were going to have to to move to a digital offering, we became maybe a little bit more attractive to to some things. So we ended up with um, kind of where we expected to be if things had been normal and a little bit more for the year. That's great. Yeah. Like you said, necessity is the mother of invention. And, you know, you noticed a lot of businesses that weren't necessarily virtual went virtual quickly. So I do think there have been some positives that have come about from the pandemic. So what are some of the positives that you guys have seen on your business? So I think the biggest positive for us is um, the, the talent pool now is much broader for us. So what I mean by that is, we actually had a physical office space. So all our designers were located in an office in Maryland, in Gaithersburg. Okay. And um, so our lease came up for renewal in September. We hadn't been in there since March. Yep. And we decided to let it go and go fully remote. Wow. So um, it was kind of happening naturally anyway. People were starting to say, hey, I want to do one day a week at home or two days a week at home. Um, but we went totally virtual um, for, you know, for COVID reasons and then realized that, you know, with some adaptation, we, we upgraded everybody's um, computers if they needed it. We put different measures in place for communications. And once we provided everyone with the resources that we needed, yeah. we were able to work fine remotely. So we've gone, we've moved to a totally remote model. And now that has opened up the talent pool to us. Like, cause they don't need to live near the office, right? Yeah. 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 Because no one's going to be disadvantaged if they're the only one not in the office or something. Do you think you guys will ever have uh, actual office space again? Or do you think you'll be a totally quote unquote virtual company? I think we'll be, um, as Infograph Ed, I think we will stay as a virtual company with a desire to maybe get together once a month or something for training. I, I think it is very important as well to keep a social connection. So one of the things I worked really hard on was like encouraging people to stay in touch. We use Slack. Okay. Slack application as sure. a sort of instant messaging system and um, encourage people, you know, if, if something's on your mind or is there something that you would have turned to someone sitting at the next desk or you yeah. would have walked over to talk to them, reach out to them on Slack and say, hey, have you got a minute? And turn your camera on and have a conversation. Doesn't yeah. matter if you're in your pajamas. Sure. Doesn't matter if you're not. Um, but just have a conversation that you would have normally in the office because you do lose so much in the nuance of conversation and communication when it's all text-based. So, yeah, absolutely. I think it's the that Slack or Teams or whatever yeah. has replaced the, I call it the office pop-in. Like, hey, I got a quick question for you. Or like, how was your weekend? I notice even with our company that I talk to some people far more than I talk to others just because we don't have the interaction. And it, there is a real social, a loss of the social aspect of working yeah. together as a cohesive yeah. team that, that plays in. Yeah, and the other thing we did, we did a couple of fun things. We did, um, uh, we had done an escape room as a team, like for company outing, and yeah. we did a virtual one on Zoom. How was that? It was it was actually a lot of fun. We had yeah. to solve puzzles together and get clues and make our way out. 
We've done, um, like sent everyone Grubhub vouchers so they could order a meal and, you know, we could eat together or if they wanted to, they could, you know, spend it however they wanted. But, you know, I recognized we would get together and we would go out for dinner. So how can we simulate that? Yeah. And, um, we had a, like a group mind reader thing, which was fun. And then my favorite is we actually, we did a virtual long distance walk from, um, it was from like Los Angeles up to San Francisco and across the Golden Gate Bridge. And it shows you where you are on the map, who has contributed, how many miles. Oh, that's great. And stuff like that. And it just gave us something fun to talk about every Monday on our project meeting. Like where are we? You know, I think it's really huge and so important to, to, to build that team and to have a really well, high functioning team together. And you need to do things like that. So when, when you guys were all together, you know, obviously you live outside of Philadelphia, Gaithersburg is not super close. Mm -hmm. Um, How did you guys do it pre pandemic? How, how, how did you focus on building that, that culture? You know, I don't think we were as thoughtful about it beforehand because I think it was just like everybody gets together. They must like each other. Right. Otherwise, you know, like and, no effort. It took no effort to make it happen before. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I would go down maybe once every couple of months, if that. Um, so I feel a little bit more connected to the team than yep. I did before. Yeah. And I think just being more thoughtful about it and checking in with people like how, how are you doing? I mean, you know, everybody's got some additional layer of complexity right now. Whether you have kids at home or maybe you live alone and you're not seeing anyone at all. Yeah. That isolation is really difficult. Yeah. So, you know, just recognizing that again, we, try to avoid having a sort of a presentee culture. I mean, I really don't care as long as the work gets done. Sure. But if you need to leave and go for a walk in the middle of the day, if that's your mental health check, it's your only opportunity for exercise. Maybe it's your only opportunity to get away from the kids or meet a friend. <laughs> it's like, as long as you just, you know, put in, put your status on Slack as away. And yeah. um, we know you're not at the end of, you know, of the, internet and but you you know just manage your time and be a little bit more thoughtful of what other people could be going through that day and yeah be very mindful that everyone's fighting their own battle that you know potentially nothing about yeah exactly exactly yeah so it 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 is interesting that um you know looking at the whole dynamics of covid and how it affects people's ability to work. I think before the pandemic, I think the the traditional 8.30 to 4.30 or 8.30 to 5 or 9 to 5 work life was falling apart a little bit. I feel like it's almost not necessarily obliterated, but really you might work to your point, 9 to 12, take a walk for an hour, get some fresh air, hop back on at two, hop back on at 10 PM because your kids are, you know, running around all day and you need some, some, you need to finish some things up. So I think that is another potential advantage that mm-hmm. still get the work done, but kind of on your own terms. Yeah. And not this need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've all seen into everyone. I mean, you know, you've seen me in two locations tonight, Yep. <laughs> um, but we've all seen into like the CNN newsreaders bedrooms and, you know, celebrities broadcasting from home. And I think 
that pressure to be on and be perfect and be kind of, you know, business dressed and everything is just gone by the wayside now. If you can show up and you can contribute, then that's, that's great. Yeah. And and I think it's a good thing. And in fact, I'm sure I saw something on the news today uh, from Ireland that now I think they said it was something like half the workforce want the option to work from home. Yeah goes back and they're going to make it a requirement that your employer has to consider it. I think commercial real estate from the traditional office setting might have some substantial troubles. I'm not exactly going out on a limb there, but I even think, you know, that shared working space environment might become more and more popular yeah. like we work or any other type of yeah. shared working space. Or if you had a company and you needed 6,000 square feet, well, maybe you only need 3000 now because you can work at this desk for, on Monday and Tuesday and I can work there on Wednesday and Thursday and not yeah. skip a beat. Yeah. That is, that is interesting. Yeah. So yeah. as you look back on your career and your, your journey into entrepreneurship, you've certainly had people that have likely influenced you. Mm-hmm. through maybe at different times in your career. Who are some of the people that you can look back on and are, are thrilled that they came into your life when they did? Um, so uh, my first boss, actually, a guy called Jerry Duffy, he passed away a few years ago, unfortunately. He gave me my first shot. He actually introduced, interviewed me for my first job in pharma as a sales rep apparently within five minutes decided I was not a good fit (laughs) me and kept talking so that I wouldn't feel, so I wouldn't know it was over. (laughs) And in the course of the conversation, he then said, Hey, she's not right for this role, but she might be right for another role. Wow. And that role was actually something that was, it was for a hospital specialist sales position. So back then it would have been something you were promoted into that yeah. you served your time with general practice and maybe pharmacy retail. Right. Um, and he put me forward for that hospital specialist role. And people were like, she's brand new. She, she knows nothing. She's never worked before. And he had faith in me and, and, um, and he was just a great mentor, a really great sounding board and an example to me of what a really supportive manager yeah. could be. Yep. Um, and after two years of doing that, I knew it wasn't a career I wanted to spend my time in. He knew, and he actually helped me get my next job. Oh, wow out of sales into clinical research. Yeah. So, you know, either he didn't like me as much as I thought he did. <laughs> he <wanted laughs> He's trying to get rid of you. But no, but it, he was very supportive, very nurturing. And he was like, you know what? This has been great. You've done well. But yeah, he supported me in moving on to, to a different role. That's fantastic to have that in a uh, in that type of environment. Yeah, he was great. And then later on, actually, just before I was leaving the UK, I worked with a, um, we brought her in as a consultant to our team, Karen Winterhalter. So we were two Karens um, working together and we had an interesting, very high profile project for the company. And I learned so much from her. She, again, was a great influence on me, um, had a lot of fun doing her job, great way of getting people to work with her. Sure. Um, 
and and making it look seamless. Like she just looked like she was having a party all the time. That's great. And, but the amount of work and preparation that she did uh, was, uh, you know, the foundation of all of that. And she actually helped me recognize skills and strengths that I didn't realize maybe that I had. Yeah. Um, so it was a great confidence boost um, at the time. And um, yeah, she was great. And Karen set up her own business, Onyx Health, and I've kind of followed her career since, but she was, she was a major influence on me as well. That's great. Well, we, and we know that business ownership isn't always uh, rainbows and, and, and sunshine. So can you point back to a time of maybe the lowest point of your career or so, even lowest point of owning your owning your businesses? Yeah, I think um, I think the lowest point in my career overall was probably just before I left the corporate world when when you and I around the time you and I met. Yeah. And um, I was in a place then where I was feeling very undervalued, felt I was being overlooked. Um, but I was also frustrated at my own inability to do anything about it and yeah. feeling very trapped mm -hmm. and, um, feeling that, you know, I worked so hard and I cared so much about what I did, yeah. um, that somehow that should count for more right. than it did. Um, and, and that was actually a big learning curve for me. Like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter how much you care. Right. <laughs> you don't get paid more if you care more. Um, you know, do your job. But um, I, I was feeling very trapped. That was the lowest point. Um, I think the lowest point for me um, as a business owner, I can't isolate one out other than, um, you know, there have been a couple of months when the cash flow hasn't been there. Sure. And I just thought, you know, like you said earlier, everyone else gets paid before you. Why am I doing this? Yep. Why am I working so hard? For everybody, <laughs> everybody else gets paid. I'm the last. You have to have faith that it's going to come through. And yep. it always has. Always has. Yeah. It always has. And I need to remind myself of that, that this idea that we had five and a half years ago has turned out to um, you know, to be a real business. And even though I have anxiety about it every month, we've been able to pay the bills every month yeah. and I did get paid at the end. It, sure. might, it might come later in the year, Yep. Um, but it has been successful. Yeah. You know, if you, when you go back in time to when you were sort of getting ready to leave corporate America and you find out that your position has been eliminated, you're feeling, are you relieved, depressed, excited how's that play out for you it was a mixture of all of that actually i really wanted it because i i wanted to leave i wanted i wanted circumstances to be such that i needed to do something different yeah and then also the financial security to do that yep. but at the same time maybe the ego that i did have was mm. like they should want to keep me. <laughs> yep. Um, so like really conflicting emotions at the time. Absolutely. But, but the net for me was um, it was time to go. I had been with the company for 15, 16 years. I'm not someone who jumped around. I, I worked for two pharma companies in my pharma career of 21 years. Which is very rare. Yes. Yeah. Um, so it, it was time. Yeah. 
That, that, that is great though. Um, so if you could go back in time to maybe when you're in your twenties and you could visit yourself now for your, your present self could go back in time and visit you then, what would your, what would you tell yourself? Um, apart from don't get that perm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think it would be that everything's going to, you know, have more faith, have more faith. Yeah. Um, things are, are going to work out fine and the risks are lower than you think of trying something new. Yeah. Don't, Don't feel held back. Um, um, I think that's, that's the main thing, just having more faith and being braver. Yeah. And know that everything will be work, will work itself out. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, it was just the wrong thing. And you'll make, you'll make another decision and it'll be fine. I do think there's that stress when you're in your twenties, where the job that you pick, you're like, this is, this has got to be my lifelong thing. Mm-hmm. And as you get older, you can kind of look back and go, well, who cares? You know, yeah. go, go somewhere else. If you're not happy and you don't like what you're doing, figure, but you have to have a plan, figure it out. Don't just complain about it. But I think that was when I was in my twenties. Absolutely. Now the world's their oyster and they know it. Yeah, you're right. I work with a lot of people in that age group. Now, a lot of our designers are, you know, half my age. Right. Yeah. And the confidence that they have like astounds me. Yeah. Um, And their willingness to ask for what they want. Yep. And not feeling embarrassed by that yeah. impresses me. And I really wish that I'd had more of that at that time. Oh, I, I totally agree with you. It's, I, I find it fascinating the different generations that work together. You know, I started out my, uh, working for, well, my second job, I worked for a baby boomer. And, and you know, he's about 70 now. And he used to say things like, well, you have to pay your dues. And I said, well, what does that mean? Well, you, I paid my dues, so you have to pay them. And you're like, well, that doesn't really make sense. So now, you know, if you look at the generation that's coming into the workforce, they're very confident and they go, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And yeah. I, I totally agree with you. I, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it takes them adjusting. I mean, it I'm does. the oldest person in our company, I think. Yeah. Just somebody within a week of me. But um, but the youngest person is less than half my age. Yeah. And we've got everything in between. And I struggle with it a little bit. And um, but I I've come to love it. I, I'm impressed by them. I think they're going to get places faster than than we did. Yep. And uh, they're thinking about the important things earlier on, like what their value is. Yes. What their contribution is. Um, how they want their lives to be balance wise. Yep. Um, everything that I think, you know, people my age kind of came to when it was almost too late to do anything about it. Maybe. Yeah. You know? you, no, you're, you're right. You make, it's a great point. Yeah. To be able to, to, for them to be able to say what they want and to, to verbalize it and feel confident. And I remember I, I had uh, a conversation with one of my senior partners one time where he said, you can't be partner until you've worked here for 10 years. And I said, well, why? And he said, because that's the deal. And I'm like, but why? And he didn't have an answer. So, you know, and I, I was definitely not confident enough to challenge that conversation. So I think, you know, if I, if I was coming up now, I would, I would have had the confidence to be able to handle that. Yeah. 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 It, it is interesting. Um, well, this was awesome. I really appreciate your time today. I really enjoyed it. it it's great that we have our first international episode 
We had a little hiccup with, with some of the technology, but that's okay. But so I, I just want to thank you so much for your time today. And if you'd like to learn more about Karen's business, Infograph Ed, please go to her website. That's infograph-ed.com. Karen, thank you so much for your time and cheers. Thanks, Brian. Dave travels back. Thank you for listening to Happy Half Hour with an Entrepreneur, sponsored by Rivers Edge Advisors. For more information on how Rivers Edge Advisors can help you, visit their website at riversedgeadvisors.com. If you'd like to connect with Brian Carney for business advice or just to share a beer, follow him on Instagram at riversedgeadvisors underscore LLC.